0: All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Forever Forum. Chris Stewart here, and I am so fired up for today's episode, joined by one of my best friends in the world, the legendary Alan Dalton. AD, how you doing, pal? Great to be with you, Chris, and it's so exciting. Awesome. Awesome. So I just want to jump right in because I know last time we did this, Alan, I don't know, it was several months ago. We went for at least 60 minutes, maybe more the the chats and the questions were blowing up. It's almost like we could have been here 90, or, you know, two, 90 minutes or two hours. People were loving it. So I want to jump right in. And, um, you know, I know that we're going to touch on a lot of topics today, Alan. Um, and I'm, I'm always, uh, first of all, impressed by you and, and just everything that you bring to the table, energy, passion, experience, wisdom. And I think about influence. You know, And, and we'll, we're going to talk about the role of influence as it relates to agents and their ability to build great businesses for themselves. But I think about Gino Blafari's influence in the industry and Tom Ferry and Mike Ferry and Brian Buffini and, and your influence. I mean, you've been named one of the 25 most influential people in the real estate industry by NAR. Uh, Mike Ferry calls you the most brilliant marketing mind in the industry, also dedicated his book to you. And so I know today, Alan, your role is uh, CEO of Real Living Real Estate, which is one of our franchise networks here at HSF Affiliates. You're also the Senior Vice President of Research and Development uh, for HSF. And I just want you to share, you know, what does influence mean to you, Alan? And, and how do you think you've, you've done such an effective job of developing and cultivating that over your career?
1: That's a great question. And it's a very kind and overly generous introduction, Chris, and thanks Again, you know, first of all, you evoke the name of Gino Bufari. I know how closely you've worked with him and how close you are with Gino. Have you ever, have you ever thought and wondered how much more successful Gino could become if he ever became organized? <laughs> if, he, if he ever embraced goal setting, if he, ever, right, exactly. if he ever would step up and embrace accountability, he could really be something. But seriously, uh, Chris, you, you gave me a very open question to talk about influence. And uh, what I've done is I've actually put together some exhibits. And I know it's very awkward and clumsy on a Zoom meeting to hold something up. but I'm going to hold them up just to remind me of, of the things that I like to share in terms of influencing. Almost everything I've done in real estate in terms of influencing is has, was described after I understood why I was doing it. And that is that the Dean of the Harvard Business School once said that every person must ask themselves every company, every real estate team, therefore, or individual producers should ask themselves two questions. What do I do that my competition does better? And number two, what do I do that none of my competitors do? And I was confronted with that because many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, I moved with my family from Boston to New Jersey. And I joined an organization at that time, Murphy Realty, Better Homes and Gardens, that had two offices. Over 20 years, we grew that, Joe and I, to 32 offices that we owned, and we had 28 affiliates. And I think a significant um, contribution to that was the way in which I created merchandising. The industry is very familiar with advertising and marketing, but you very seldom hear the word merchandising. And there's a difference. If you were to go to a Nordstrom uh, store, you might at lunch see three people. One would say, hi, I'm a salesperson. What do you do? I sell directly to the customers on the floor. Then there'd be a marketing person. Do you sell to the customers on the floor? No, I do brochures and press releases and so forth and so on. But there'd be a third person at that luncheon. That would be the head of merchandising. What do you do? Do you sell directly? No. Do you do brochures? No. I basically create product. I design product." I do boots. I select the merchandise. And so because the merchandise in real estate was given to us by builders, the industry really has doesn't have a merchandising gene. So what I did to influence is I really became a merchandiser within the real estate industry versus a marketing person. I sold real estate in Boston, but I moved my family, and my title then was the vice president of the marketing. So here are some of the things that launched my influence within the industry. The first thing I did is because we only had two or three offices and there was a company by the name of Weikert with over hundred offices in our state of New Jersey and Schlott, S-C-H-L-O-T-T with hundred offices. I had to merchandise what we did for home sellers. Why? Because my compensation, Chris, was based on two things. Joe said, Alan, there's two things that you're going to do for the company. Number one, you're gonna help us bring in listings. And number two, you're gonna help us bring in new associates. And so what I did over 20 years, I was on two or three marketing presentations a day, but in order to be successful, because I had never sold in New Jersey. So what I did is I merchandised and I had to come up with something that we did that no one else did to get these listings. Okay, so the first thing I did because our competition had over hundred offices within a 60 mile radius, back then everybody was still making listing presentations, Chris. So they were focusing on why people should list with them versus more specifically what they do for the homeowner. So I created back then the Murphy Home Marketing System, the Murphy Marketing System. And basically what that was, I I basically just gave a name to what everybody was doing. It wasn't advanced like the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services or Real Living's customized home marketing system. It didn't have components. It didn't have points of difference within Berkshire Hathaway Home Services and Real Living. All it was, was it basically gave a name to a nameless phenomenon. Because back then, the agents would still be making listing presentations, or they might say, and oh, by the way, we belong to the MLS, which means we cooperate. So then I started doing ads in the newspaper that said that no company sells more than 10% of New Jersey real estate, therefore you need the Murphy marketing system. The next thing is that back then, everybody was still using something called the CMA. They were all doing CMAs, Chris. So I figured, wait a minute, if we're going to do something that no one else is doing, I came up with an MMA, uh, the Murphy, um, the master market analysis. Now what's the difference? The difference was a CMA, Mr. and Mrs. Home Seller, that's only going to give you an estimate of value. An MMA is going to show you how you can increase your value. There again, something no one else was doing. Then back then, Chris, 35 years ago, real estate companies were only doing homes guides only in English. So I started doing them in five different languages, actually six: English, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Spanish, and Russian. So every homes guide that we did was in five or six languages. For example, here's the Chinese version, okay? Then I, then I basically, in my company, I appointed a director of feng shui because I used to hear rumblings in the marketplace. Oh, it's very important with the feng shui. We gotta, you know, people don't like this number. They like the house facing this way. So I said, wait a minute, everybody's talking about that. How can I do that better? How can I merchandise that idea? And so I appointed a director of feng shui and he couldn't even speak English but it come to the developments into the homes. I I used to have him brought in a limousine and the homeowners would all be nervous the builders would all be nervous and not look at them and go like this. We'd get the <laughs> listening, we get the development. The next thing I is that everybody was talking about listing presentations and a few market, no one was talking about marketing systems. So I created the Better Homes and Gardens home merchandising system because that company had the greatest re- re- repository of home improvement ideas, but no one thought to package that into a system. Again, I merchandised. Then, when I started hearing all the agents in the marketplace talking about, oh, it's a great time to move up, but they didn't have a system. So I created the Murphy move up system. Okay. Then I started doing ads. People asked, should I buy first or sell first? Okay. Ask about the, uh, ask for a complimentary move up analysis. Then back then, everybody was um, only putting properties on the MLS. So I created the real estate consumer network. So all of our agents sent all of our listings to everybody in their farm areas. So I aggregated something over and above the MLS phenomenon. Then in 1995 or so, Chris, people started talking about the internet. Well, everybody had the internet. So I created the real estate outer net, okay? So the outer net, and I put here the, the exit off the internet. And I put all of the things that we did of value over and above the internet. Again, this is what helped us grow to 60 offices with our affiliates. Then I figured, gee, now that I've done marketing on homes, what about developments in towns? So I took every town, the town of Mawa, the Mawa resale home marketing system, the Black Oak, here's a development, the Black Oak resale marketing system. Then I figured, hey, why'd you stop at towns? Why not counties? The South Bergen County marketing system Another development, the spring metal marketing system, because all I did is I took everything we did to market a property. Then I had teams put together. What else is important about that town? And then we sent mailings to everybody in town that we've created a marketing system for your town. Then then I wanted to get more cooperation on our listings. So I created CAP, the cooperative awards program that people would get bonus points in all the other companies when they sell our listings. Then I wrote a lot of brochures. I wrote... Again, merchandising, the truth about real estate, making every other company look deceptive, disingenuous, outright lying. The public needed to hear the truth about real estate. Then I created the rent to the buyer assistance program. Why did I do that? Because every, all of my competitors, they were still talking about first time buyers. They didn't realize that all first time buyers, for the most part, okay, unless they're living in the basement, they're renters. So I created a renter to buy assistance program. We went to home sellers. Would you be willing to pay down their points? Would you be willing to pay them out of the lease up to three months? We get developments because again, merchandising Chris, what do we do that no one else does? Then I everybody was talking about getting FISBOs. You've got to call FISBOs, but they didn't have a program. So I had the, I created the Facile by owner marketing partnership program, it was a program Uh, for them. And then the first iteration, I've owned the Euro for many years and I brought it to our brands. Neighbors know best. Here, who knows the most about, question, who knows the most about your neighborhood? Answer, your neighbors. Okay. So, so the way that I influenced was to create programs and marketing systems that the industry just disregarded or didn't think of. And then from that, I had a lot of national brands uh, contact me. I did, and that led to me also going to Realtor.com, and when I get to Realtor.com, I introduce featured homes, featured community, snapshot. So I've been a merchandiser my whole career. That's been my my source of influence, Chris. And so I love it. I love it. Sorry for such a long no.
0: No, it's great to me because Alan, here's what it says to me: is that you know a lot of people with the benefit of hindsight would look back at all the wonderful. Uh, you know, programs that you developed back in, in the day when there were no such programs. So in other words, it's easy to sit here today and say, well, of course you did that, Alan. Of course you did that. But if you were to rewind the tape and go back in time, those programs didn't exist. So my point is for everyone listening uh, or watching right now or listening down the road on a podcast of this, of this replay, understand that everything that Alan is working on today Will in six months or five years become hindsight is 2020 obvious, but let's put these things in place today. And I want to talk about that later Is all the wonderful, uh, uh, you know, outputs of your role as research and development chief here, uh, you know, for our organization, there's incredible programs, incredible value that people just need to put into action. And so let's talk about your vision of the road forward. What are you working on right now, Alan? And what do you see moving forward that'll be so critical to our agent's success? Well, it's
1: what you're doing, Chris. It's what you're merchandising because I merchandise little ideas. Like for example, I had, I had one of my agents come in and said, Alan, gee, last week I sold two properties on corner lots. So I created the corner lot marketing system. I then had the ads in the newspaper. We, we had the, the top corner of the page and my ad was Murphy's corner of the market, ask about our corner lot prop marketing system. These are little elements. These are transformative concepts like you're creating, Chris. And that's why I gravitate to you because you're the only other executive I've met ever in real estate that's a born merchandiser of concepts, okay? Your IQ system, closing the loyalty gap, what you've done with Sage, all the things that you're doing. So where I think, Influence has to go now. And what I'm involved in working with you, to put it in a nutshell, I am working feverishly, tirelessly along with you to have the antidote um, for listing side disruption. Um, You, When you spoke at the forum, and that's why it's great that this is the Forever Forum because you introduced the, the Forever Agent at the Las Vegas Coliseum Forum. But, the, but when you introduced the, um, the, the concept of the real, estate local, the real estate ecosystem, that spoke very resonantly to me because that is the only response that is going to help to preemptively inoculate the ravages of listing side disruption. You don't accept to the same degree that many leaders do, the concept of disruption. I've heard you say that you're more concerned about diminution of value, that the realtors aren't going to go away, but their perceived value. And I agree with you, because you've heard me say this, Chris, and maybe some others as well. The real estate industry does not have an image problem. When it comes to image, we're prodigiously Photoshopped. That's why sometimes the home sellers say, geez, we were expecting your son. Geez, I thought your daughter was coming here tonight. So we're prodigiously Photoshopped. We're, we, we're, we're basically, um, we invented personal promotion, where we splendidly dressed. We've been writing our own reviews for 50 years. And parking garages across the land are brimming with our BMWs. The real estate industry does not have an image problem. We're probably the best dressed of all professions. We've got people in nice attire walking around the streets on weekends even. We have a value problem because many consumers still perceive a real estate transaction as a fee inflated event, which they have to subsidize in order to promulgate an inefficiently run industry. That didn't hurt on the buying side. The greatest definition I've heard of disruption is when I was sitting next to you at a real estate conference and the speaker from outside the industry said, disruption is defined as that when something no longer makes sense. So it no longer made sense for buyers to first go to a realtor when they could go to sites like my former site, realtor.com, okay, in Zillow. So agents were disrupted on the buying side, but that wasn't onerous. It's imposed tariffs. It's, 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 it's extracting hundreds of millions of dollars of commission out of the industry, but at least buyers don't determine the, the price. Buyers don't generate listings as much as generally, buyers don't determine the fee rate, which are all negotiable. The only place that third party portals can go to further monetize their investment into the real estate space is to disrupt the listing side. That's why over the last several years, for the first time in history, there's hundreds of millions of dollars gonna be earmarked to national TV campaigns about different approaches to getting, selecting somebody to sell your home. So we have to work tirelessly to disrupt. So your three concepts, the real estate loyalty gap, I commend you, Chris, because you have spent so much time with your background, analyzing what the challenges are and a genius can synthesize complexity into something that could be simply articulated. So you have collapsed and synthesized all of the challenges into three things. There's a real estate loyalty gap. I've heard you talk about that. I want you to talk about that if you would. You've talked, if, if, if I can turn the tables for a bit. You've talked about the real estate ecosystem. You've talked about the forever agent. These are the, These are the greatest challenges. These are the answers so the greatest challenge, and then the granddaddy of them all is what you're going to be doing with the IQ system. So if you, if you wouldn't mind me turning the tables, I'd love to have you get a little bit more into depth in terms of why you have merchandised these concepts, Chris.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm happy to, Alan. And you know, for those of you that don't know my, my personal background, before I got into real estate, um, I started my career in technology. I worked first in New York City and then transferred out to Silicon Valley. I was a global account executive for Oracle Corporation. And uh, this was the mid-90s all the way through uh, the first part of the early 2000s. And, you know, one thing that was very obvious with the dot-com, you know, the dot-com boom and bust in the late 90s, early 2000s was there were a lot of companies, Alan, you remember, that had a solution in search of a problem. And that's a very dangerous place to be as, as an industry or as an entrepreneur or as an investor, a solution in search of a problem. And so I've always approached my, my own you know, business pursuits, my own entrepreneurial endeavors from the standpoint of, well, what problem are we trying to solve? And when I look at the real estate industry, I characterize a lot of what the industry is focused on, whether it's listings or marketing or lead generation or advertising a lot of what's going on in the industry as completely distracting and and i and i would characterize a lot of the things that the industry provides in the form of so you know solutions and tools and services as solutions in search of a problem and really when i look at it there's a couple of fundamental things that i think we have to be mindful of number one still today 75% of every transaction that's generated in this industry is generated by virtue of a referral or past relationship. So 75% of your income is tethered to your personal relationships with people that you know today, that you've done business with in the past, or that can connect you with someone that's looking to transact. So then why is it that 80% of our time and money is focused on trying to buy leads or advertise or promote things that will absolutely distract us from uh, you know, being, in, 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 being in the swim lane or available to those transactions that are already tethered to us through our personal relationships. The other key fact is 75% of buyers and sellers only ever talk to a single agent. And we know that a lot of these leads and marketing gimmicks, are being routed to multiple agents if you're not the first one you're the last one and another key dynamic in our industry is only seven percent of our housing inventory turns over every year which means you've got a dormant prospective customer base that's 93 percent of your total addressable market and when i look at those facts those are universal truths in the industry if you will alan then i start to say okay What are the solutions that we can develop to address the problems that we have? And the problems that we have is we're not capitalizing enough of the available business inside of our existing networks of business. So a lot of agents would say, Alan, well, geez, Chris, I generate 100% of my business through my own personal network. And I would say that's great, but that's not the question. How much business is being done inside of your personal network and how much of that business are you getting? In my analysis, Alan, most agents are only getting one third to a maximum of one half of the available business inside of their personal network. That means that it's being referred to someone else and or the other four or five agents that are also marketing to your past clients are getting some of the business. That's a a miss. I want our agents to get at least eighty percent, ideally a one hundred percent of the available business inside of their addressable market. But that means that they need to be liked. So they need to have three characteristics: likable, trusted, and influenced. They, they need to have influence. And so, really, to me, the culmination of all of that—and I'm sorry for the long-winded response, Alan—but the culmination of all of that observation in my own time in this industry now is has culminated to the loyalty value void, the real estate ecosystem, and the sum of those two executions defining an agent as a forever agent, because we want to make sure consumers understand that the agent isn't just there for that single transaction, that they're there for the lifetime of real estate experiences for that consumer and the lifetime of experiences for that consumer's children and extended family, because we know that's where the bulk of transactions are generated.
1: Chris, me, allow me to respond and just add to a few th- of your observations. Okay, first of all, some have heard me say this before. I, I always like to quote Confucius because Confucius said, Wis- all wisdom begins by properly naming things, and that's also defining problems and challenges. The way I view it, in, in, in agreement with you, is that when realtors pay, when realtors pay a referral fee for a referral that's generated within the industry, that's a referral when they're paying outside the industry, I call that a tariff. The other thing is that when you talk about percentage of their, their sphere of influence, I love that. I've heard you refer to that as sphere of influence share. I've never heard anybody say that before. Sphere of influence share versus just market share. And it's not just getting that percentage of their existing sphere of influence, it's then expanding it through the real, your real estate ecosystem. And I know you have a bioscience major, okay, um, from, from the university. And I think that perhaps influenced you to characterize because bioscience is renowned for identifying uh, ecosystems. And that's the way, obviously, I think your mind works. But so that's the way I react to what you just said, Chris.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alan, thank you for that. So I want to go back to a comment that you made earlier. And that was your role at your, your company that you and Joe Murphy built together and, and so successfully built and scaled and then sold uh, successfully, uh, I want to go back to, you know, your role and your focus on expanding the, the number of agents and offices and then winning listings. And I know you spent countless hours supporting your agents on listing appointments, and I'm just uh, curious for you to share with your audience in today's dynamic, if you will. So in other words, leveraging those experiences and, and, and all those lessons learned from then and sharing in today's dynamics, what you feel like is most important today for agents to be focused on to win listings and be successful in these appointments? Well, Chris, thanks
1: for that question. Um, what I learned uh, from 20 years of going out in hundreds if not thousands of marketing presentations really led me to becoming the industry's only demotivational speaker. And sometimes when I announce myself as a demotivational speaker, I think some people, early on think I'm saying I'm a motivational speaker. No, I'm not a motivational uh, speaker because I'm from Boston and people from the Northeast, I'm known for motivating uh, people. Most of the motivational speakers, they're from Southern California, Mike Ferry, Tom Ferry, Brian Buffini, okay, Daniel Kennedy, Tommy Hopkins. So I knew I couldn't ever have any influence as a motivational speaker. So I decided to try to be demotivational because Several years ago, it dawned on me, Chris, that my single greatest skill is criticizing those things that other people do. That was, that's my single greatest talent is to criticize. And what I did <laughs> over this 20 years is going out on all the marketing presentations, I used to lovingly criticize my agents I was with afterwards. I said, geez, why would you ever get out of the car and go right to the door without first standing in front of the home with a yellow pad of paper, taking notes, so you get psyched and so the people see that you're really into this. Why would you ever, oh my God, did you see their face when you asked to use the word comps? That's like saying, let's take a look at some comparable children, okay? Why do you think they get defensive? Why do you think they said, but they don't have five bedrooms? Why do you think they said they don't have a swimming pool? Don't you realize you insulted them? Because I contacted my daughter, Chris, who was a clinical psychologist, graduated from Princeton University. And I said, Ginny, Daddy can't be a motivational speaker. He wants to be a demotivational speaker. Can you do some research on effective ways of demotivating other people? She said, Dad, she came back in two weeks. She said, Dad, there's four major ways. Embarrass them, belittle them, talk about yourself, and try to get to change how they think. And when we use the word comms, people don't think any home is like this. Why would we ever go there, okay? Then, then I used to, if they asked how they were different, some of my agents would try to explain how they're different. And unless they could say they've got three heads or we have got offices on the moon, it doesn't sound that remarkably different. So I said, why don't we do this instead? Folks, rather than focusing on how we're different, we want to focus on how we have to point out what's different about your home. You see, we don't compete against other agents here in New Jersey, but your home competes against other properties. So I, I started to look, and then when I heard people saying, actually saying to a home seller, well, oftentimes the first offer is the best offer. Don't you realize what they think when you say that? They think that you're nudging them because you're desperate for a commission, okay? Because you'll, they think you're less likely to say, oftentimes the first offer is the worst offer. So you've, we've got to be more strategic because 100% of your income is based on how you communicate. So I went from the idea of having a listing presentation, which is about you, to a marketing proposal that's more collaborative and treating the homeowner as a co-author of the lifestyle story. And I also took a different approach to pricing because I, I, I had some of my agents coming with computer spreadsheets and they begin by saying, well, folks, um, I went into the computer and this column here, uh, this whole, these are homes in the market. This would be your competition. And I'm saying this mockingly, Chris, because some people might say, this sounds pretty good. This column here, this is days on the market. This column here, this is absorption rates. This column here is listings that have been withdrawn because they didn't think strategically. They didn't even ask themselves these questions. What percentage of agents, w- when it comes to their own personal residence overpriced? it? All of them. What percentage of agents, okay, have access to all of the data? All of them. What does that tell you about the value of the data? It's worthless unless it's used judiciously. What percentage of homeowners like the data? None of them. What does that make the agent? The bearer of bad news. What happens to the bearer of bad news? Shoot the messenger, okay? So we. So I created a different approach to pricing presentations. It's on the learning center. So the whole idea, Chris, is to, is to involve the homeowner, get them involved in a collaboration, make sure they're telling you through the step of all the things that they love about the home. Then you can say, by the way, folks, now that we've covered, all of the things that you think somebody should wanna buy your home, is there anything about your property that you believe that a buyer or a buyer agent would wanna criticize to bring the value down that we should strategize over? I just toned it down a little bit because I don't want people thinking I was ranting and raving with home sellers here. So I do have the ability, Chris, uh, folks, uh, now that we've gone over, so I do have that ability, Chris, to, to modulate, even though you wouldn't think so, okay.
0: I love it. So that, I love are my it. So,
1: those are the things I'm sharing. You have to have a system. Okay, you've got to be collaborative, and you've got to be supremely confident. You can't be thinking that you're going on a listing interview because about ninety percent of people, according to research, that go on interviews don't get hired. Because if you think that it's in doubt, you're going to sell yourself. And the only people who try is aggressively to sell themselves as some agents on listing presentations would be people in prison seeking parole. So you already have the listing, you are there as a collaborator and, you, and you're treating the homeowner as a homeowner co-author <laughs> of their lifestyle versus a listing presentation victim.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it, I love it. And so I wanna kind of continue this, this dialogue here because you've developed some incredible programs and approaches that fit right in line with our vision of the forever agent, what it means to solve this loyalty value void once and for all, and how to incorporate the real estate ecosystem into that effort. So could you share with, with, our, with our audience some of the most compelling deliverables, programs that you believe agents must be leveraging in their communications and business building activities today?
1: I'd be happy to. And in fact, it's my privilege. And- but before that, Chris, I, I want to say that you've said on a number of occasions that a lot of people create programs in search of a problem or a problem that doesn't exist. The opposite of that is when agents and brokers have a proper definition of what marketing is. I've asked a lot of people to find marketing. Oh, it's personal brand. It's getting your, your product out. It's, get, it's personal promotion. No, marketing is first determining the unmet needs of the marketplace and then creating goods and services to effectively respond to those needs. So everything that I've ever been involved in has to do with responding to unmet needs in in the marketplace. What I love about your real estate ecosystem is that homeowners have a need for painters, for carpenters, for movers. So it's based upon a need. It's not just based on an agent's opportunities to to make money. So some of the programs with that as a catalyst and stimulus and definition are as follows. First of all, during this time of years, 30 years ago, I created the holiday home marketing system that I brought forward with me. Now the holiday home marketing system was based on this. I may not be right, but I'm convinced that essentially 99% of agents in the country, when the homeowner says, we wanna wait till after the holidays, all say the same thing. Well, only the serious buyers are out. Okay, well, the interest rates alone. Well, if you wait, other people are gonna be waiting too. Homeowners have developed antibodies Uh, to those positioning points because they're not a system. It's like, we don't take it. That's our version of a listing presentation. Here's all the reasons why versus precisely what we do. So the holiday home marketing system gives additional reasons. The holidays are a period of of unmatched um, retail frenzy. Many properties are seasonally radiant. Many corporate executives, this is the only time they ever of the year they have time to look at property. Those are all on the list, but that still is the why. The how is the other side of the information, the program that people can get in the Learning Center in Market Advantage, and that is that check, which we won't have any advertising, yes or no, yes. We won't have this, Uh, we won't do this, we won't identify this, we'll only have virtual showings, whatever it's going to be, it's all there because that conveys to the consumers that you're concerned about not having the sanctity and the dignity of your holiday period disrupted by strangers coming in and showing your property is so important to us that we have created the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services holiday home marketing system. And of course the real living holiday home marketing system. That's one program. Another one is moving with pets. I read that something like 84% of people have pets. I believe, again, I may not be right, but I'm convinced I believe that consumers love their pets more than real estate agents. Okay, and the only way we have access to people is through their concerns. Now, how do we use moving with pets? In the Northeast, a lot of buyers don't like to be asked to sign in an open house because they don't like to be they, they don't like to be asked like they're going through JFK security. Because of that, they actually write their name so you can't read it. They write it illegibly. Or some have even been known to write an alias or a phony name. Now, when we when we compel consumers to have to commit this low version of fraud, that preempts any possibility that they can ever work with us or work with you, it's not me, it's you. They can never work with you. Why can't they work with you? Because they're not gonna call you the next day and say, hi, Susan, um, this is Alan Davidson. I wrote my name as Alan Dalton because I had no idea I was gonna love the back of the property. Oh my God, it's an arboretum back there. We wanna come back and take another look. They're not gonna do that. They're not gonna to wanna to be shamed as adults because of our flawed atmospherics. So you, what you want to do is you want to have a system that, every, that gets everybody to sign out <laughs> instead of signing in. Now, how do you do that when you have relevant content? Now, a few years ago, for the first time in my life, I became exposed to the medical industry because I donated my kidney to my wife. And don't be impressed with that because the only reason I did is because her parents kept saying we were never compatible. And so, but when I did donate my kidney to my wife, Chris it was the first time I was into the medical universe outpatient things and so forth. And everywhere I went, I saw guides, reduced blood pressure how how to deal with diabetes. The real estate industry is not dedicated enough to creating content. We need to treat open houses, okay, because open houses have almost become decentralized real estate offices. Consumers don't go to real estate offices anymore, but they do go to open houses. That's our greatest opportunity to make face-to-face personal impressions, okay? You want to be able to, folks, as you take the tour, there might be some things you're not, that aren't obvious I'd like to point out. And then when you, and by the way, I did an interview with another top producer, she pointed out the one of the major mistakes she believes a lot of realtors make is they actually do this. And a buyer comes into the open house and they'll actually say this, are you working with another agent? Who wants to hear that? Why do I not get to see the bathrooms if I am? Is this a different house? I mean, what's the deal here? Okay, why am I going through JFK security? You, because you can find that out later if you're more skillful. But, but these people come into the open house, many of them are sellers. This is your first impression. And if you see they've got kids, you've got moving with children. If they find out they've got pets, moving with pets. So these are two programs that are very important. And plus you can use AdWorks, okay, as as a link to this information, okay? Because we're in the impression age, we're in the engagement age, we're in the relevance age. Another program is downsizing with distinction. When somebody comes up and asks, how's the market? Don't say what people have been saying for years. It's unbelievable. It's great. I've never been busier as if they ask you, have you been busy? Okay, Or gee, all I need is a few more listings. Well, gee, here's three. No, when somebody asks, how's the market? Thanks for asking. We're in a very opportunistic market. There are great opportunities for both buyers, sellers and investors. Now I'd like to ask you a question, principle of reciprocity. Uh, When do you think you might be making your next real estate move? Well, maybe in a year. What would be the reason? Okay, now You can ask when you'll be making your next real estate move because they asked you a question. You just can't go to the soccer game and go up to everybody along the sidelines. Hey, when are you going to make your next real estate move? When are you going to make your next real estate move? They'll think you have a, a crack addiction or something. So what you have to do is that you have to be very judicious by saying, when do you think you might be making your next real estate move? And when they say in a year, what would be the reason? Because um, our son's going up to college. We're going to be downsizing. Great, I'd like to send you some information. You've got a program now because they're not going to do transactions that day. And by sending the, that program, you might get both the listing side and the buying side. It's the same thing. It may be too soon to start talking about the marketing of your property, but let's start developing a merchandising strategy. We don't use the word merchandising enough. We use the word staging. Yeah. The- but a year out, they are not ready to do staging but they're ready to do merchandising. What's the difference between merchandising and staging? Staging is all the things they do in getting their property ready to sell. Staging is all the decisions they make in terms of that relate to the value of their merchandise, which could be months out. These words matter because it could be the difference of being ignored or tapping into relevance because of that. And then the granddaddy, there's many other programs. Uh, We have a program, for example, that you have in the learning Center that that reads there's only one reason why a home doesn't sell. Ineffective marketing. The industry has been taught the opposite. The industry has been taught the only reason a home doesn't sell is because it was overpriced. But if the only reason a home sells doesn't sell is because it was overpriced, that means the only reason it sells is it was priced a certain way. That leaves the industry as overpaid appraisers gouging home sellers. There's only one reason why a home doesn't sell anywhere in the world And that is because of ineffective marketing because price is part of marketing, but marketing is not part of price. Now you can go through your whole career believing homes will sell because of price. I could debate you. I could say, Susan, I think the home didn't sell because it was not properly staged. And Susan could say, hey, Alan, even if there's no staging, if you lower the price enough, somebody's gonna buy it. I think it didn't sell because it wasn't proper negotiated. Alan, it doesn't matter even if you have the worst negotiator in the world, lower the price enough, it will sell. Alan, you could have five dead bodies in the basement, lower the price enough, it's gonna sell. And that's it's because why have we done that? Because if we understood that there's only one reason a home doesn't sell because of ineffective marketing, because price is part of marketing, then we take on responsibility. Otherwise, what we're basically saying is this, in the last 100 years, there has not been one property in the entire world that didn't sell that was ever the fault of the real estate industry. Every property that didn't sell was because the home seller didn't capitulate to the impeccable infallible pricing wisdom and recommendations of the realtor. That's the only reason. And because we blame homeowners for why homes don't sell, realtors do not get enough credit, not we. When you blame homeowners for why homes don't sell, they that you don't get enough credit for when they do so we have created a guide there's only one reason why a property doesn't sell ineffective marketing but it's not going to violate your belief system because price is part of marketing that can be the greatest listing tool for expired listings okay and but if you're going to go there we also have a brochure on pricing because here are some of the mistakes the industry has made and can you see chris i'm critical can you see i'm demotivational here yeah, I I love, my I love. here's something else in terms of pricing okay basically every broker god bless them every coach god bless them every trainer god bless them has all bought into the false explanation of why homes don't sell for the past hundred years everybody says it's in every textbook it's unbelievable it's astonishing okay it makes our industry look like the confederation of dunces here's what we've come up with There's only one reason why a home doesn't sell. No, it's not that. Um, The market determines the price. The market does never determines the price of real estate and thank God, because that would utterly destroy your value. The market determines the price in stocks and commodities. If you sold a million dollars of stock as a stock broker for E-Trade, guess what your commission would be, $12. How many of you on the forever forum would sign up for that program when you market or sell a million dollar property, you get a commission check, 12 bucks. Why wouldn't that be satisfactory? Now, why do you deserve more? Here's why you deserve more. Because the market doesn't determine the price. It only influences it. Who does determine the price? The buyer, the buyer agent. The seller, the seller agent. The lender, the appraiser. We step on our own ear hose and, and, and we basically shoot ourselves in the foot when we universally declare and tell ourselves the market determines the price, the buy determines the price, that utterly strips out the entire value proposition of the entire industry, which leaves us very vulnerable to people coming in, okay, attacking your value, okay? And the granddaddy of them all is the, is the planning guide, okay? Either the real estate lifestyle, a real estate lifestyle planning guide or the lifestyle planning guide? Now, what's the basis on that? And thanks for being so patient, Chris, with me giving my little diatribe here. Here's the importance of the planning guide. Here's why I created that concept years ago. Many years ago in my marketplace, properties dropped so much, you would think that buyers would take advantage of it. And interest rates are low. Why didn't they? Because if a property used to be 600000 and it dropped to 500000 I'm thinking as a buyer, this might drop to 300,000. So I'm going to wait. So Stacey's sets in, inactivity. Okay. Now, one thing you could say, well, if you think it's going to get down, how much do you think it's going to get down next year? Why don't we see if we can buy it this year for next year's price? But we needed a solution. That's a tactic. Okay. So I asked myself this question what percentage of consumers in this world have ever resented not owning enough real estate? Almost everybody. What percentage have ever developed a real estate plan for life? Nobody, why is that? Because the industry, it took the industry up until 20 years ago to ever come up with business planning for the most part. And I think Mike Ferry had more to do that with anybody else. Now agents are all being told, you need to have a business plan. You need to have a business plan. But no one's saying the consumer should have a plan because we're never focused on the consumer. It's like doctors, they go to medical school. Oh, boy, I now know how I can give myself an MRI. What what about the patient? Oh, that's a good idea. We should also think about them. No, the people who need to do the most planning about real estate are the consumers. So I created years ago the real estate financial planning system. That was premature. So when I came to HSF, Chris approached me and said, Alan, that idea you introduced many years ago, based on encouraging people to do planning for their life around real estate because financial planners stockbrokers, they compete against the real estate value proposition. I love that idea. Would you consider working with me to reintroduce that for our brand? I says, Chris, I'd love to. So what does this program does? It solves this problem. This isn't a solution in search of a problem that doesn't exist. There's a mighty universal problem taking place in the industry in terms of What's going to happen in terms of listing side disruption? Okay, because the seller rep determines the fee. Listings do generate buyers, and top producing listing agents are very vulnerable. Here's what it does here's the problem consumers have one doctor, one dentist, one financial planner, but they are playing random real estate search. Okay, what's the old joke? Hey, if you don't, folks, if you don't have a friend in real estate, you probably don't have a friend. And so the the challenge that we have is that we need to look at, and this is what Chris will get into, his iQ system brilliant, transformative industry shaking concept that he's come up with that he's invited me to help contribute to, but but what he's doing is going to basically synthesize some of the things I've also thought of. For example, I don't think I think the industry spends too much time talking about sphere of influence as opposed to influencing one sphere. I think the industry is immersed in these two words. You heard them all the time. Database, my database, my database, okay? Doctors and lawyers and stuff, they don't have as much of a database. They have a client base. I could have the largest database in in the world tomorrow. I could get the voter registration rolls for every country in the world. And I could walk around at conventions like a peacock with the greatest database. But in five years, I'm going to be a feather duster okay because there's absolutely no value in a database as opposed to a client base so you've got to start treating everybody that in your sphere of influence as your client how many clients do you have all of you wonderful people on the zoom forever forum meeting how many clients do you have that you've never met people uh, belong to a religion they haven't even gone to their house of worship uh, doctors can have clients in the family they've never even met yet You've got to basically convert your database to your client base. But in order to do that, there's got to be a plan. There's got to be a bridge because it would be like a financial planner saying, I'd like like to be your financial planner. Oh, but I don't do financial plans. See, oh, I'd like to be your agent for life, but I don't have a plan for life. So therefore I'm just gonna advertise when you're ready to buy, sell a home, give me a call. The rest of the time I'm too busy. Okay, I'm too busy for you, okay? So we created, Chris and I and Wendy Durand and Marie Cobalt, we, we created uh, the planning guides, okay? And the planning guide will help you memorialize, in Chris's words, that you're not a transaction agent, you're a forever agent or your lifestyle advisor. There's many pages in there, moving up, downsizing. And in the back, it also asked them to start recording their ecosystem, in terms of that. So that's a that's a program that because once you basically alert people in your sphere of influence, your database, now it's influencing your sphere and your client base that you want to repurpose your relationship from one that will always be there when there when there's a need to basically inspire them to anticipate needs and solutions, you are now painting on a different canvas. You are now basically alerting consumers that you're not a transactional agent. You're not a drive-by shooter. You're not just benefiting because of their temporary needs but you're memorializing it. You're not just having client appreciation parties. You actually, imagine a, a financial planner having a client appreciation party but no one has a plan, okay? And so you're taking your career to a different level. This is a simple concept but it's profoundly simple You can go to the Learning Center Market Advantage. There's letters that go out with it. If you get that in the hands of everybody, along with what you can also learn, how can I help you this year? You are now identifying with 20 different move up, downsize, renovate. You're basically alerting the marketplace that you are a different level of real estate professional, that you arrived at the level of success, that your career isn't dependent or contingent solely on transactions in the day, but by displaying and demonstrating and manifesting that you have their long range concern, who do you think is gonna get all their immediate business? Who's gonna get all of their referrals? So that's a game-changing concept of the real estate lifestyle planning guide and the lifestyle planning guide. Anybody who's not familiar with it, anybody that doesn't have their picture, anybody who's not using AdWorks to let people know they can have it, but don't ever expect people to contact us. You can do AdWords, you can do it. You've got to contact them. I make a distinction, Chris, between SEO and my version of SEO. To the rest of the world, SEO only stands for search engine optimization. The search genie is out of the bottle. Unless somebody has hundreds of millions of dollars, you are never going to impact the home search destiny of consumers. (laughs) That's just how it is. Therefore, you've got to use seek technology like AdWords to preempt search. You've got to forge relationships. And Chris, that takes us right into, I'm gonna turn the tables, i have talked too much here. I wanna hear more about your IQ system because your IQ system embraces and envelops loyalty gap, ecosystem, lifestyle planning guide, all into one
0: direction and one focus. So please share that concept. Yeah, absolutely, Alan. And thank you for all those programs. And before I, I respond, I do want to say a few things number one if you have someone in the industry that you believe will benefit from this content please tag their name in the comments below here so that they'll be alerted to this content they can watch the feed i also upload all of this to my good to know podcast so you can listen on demand later um that's number one number two for anyone affiliated with any of our networks all of the programs that alan just articulated are available in Learn Center, along with the associated materials for those programs, along with video instructional material to elaborate on how to leverage these programs in your business building activities. This is just simply phenomenal. If you're listening or watching and you're not affiliated with us, please just send me a direct message. I can get you access to this or get you aligned with some of our local affiliates that can show you these programs in more detail. These are absolutely critical to your efforts and your business building activities. Again, look back at the things that Alan has demonstrated over a 40 year career that he's developed and innovated in the form of programs, marketing, communication, promotion, branding, et cetera. Don't be left on the sidelines in a year or two years and looking back and said, why didn't I? Why didn't I leverage these tools more effectively? And now I'm competing in this sea of sameness against all these disruptors and distractors and institutional competitors that are launching Uh, themselves squarely at disrupting your business and your relationships. And I would say with that being said, Alan, responding to your, uh, to your, to your comment is the, the most important thing in my opinion is to recognize that three fourths of your income as an agent will be generated by the people that already know and trust you either because they're transacting directly and or they're going to refer you to other people. So if at least three fourths of your time in the form of communication, in the form of outreach, in the form of marketing and promotion and branding and contacts, etc., cetera, if at least three fourths of your time and resources aren't dedicated at finding and capitalizing on that business, which is to say a lot of agents are spending three fourths of their time out lead generating, or advertising or waiting for the phone to ring, you're already, you've already lost the game. You're you are already wasting time and money that should otherwise be focused on where your bread is getting buttered. And so when I think about the effort involved in being at at, at the point where you can capitalize on the most transactions inside of your existing trusted network of contacts, including your trusted partners, like contractors and designers and landscapers and obviously your mortgage lender and insurance providers, this ecosystem, if you're not squarely adding value in the epicenter of all of the conversations that are happening around real estate in that environment, you're missing the boat. And so when I think about that challenge, I think about the most critical element moving beyond likability and trust. So we have to establish likability in A and B. But once we've established those two attributes, then the next quality is what? How are you influencing? What specifically are you providing to Alan's earlier comments around content, around relationships, around connectivity to other shared services? What are you doing to influence the people in that in that environment? And the the levers of influence involve what are you doing personally? How Involving yourself in the community, how are you leveraging your charitable functions and other civic and community functions, and then how are you leveraging tools relative to email search and social. And looking at the, the, the execution plan across all of those formats and then taking the right approach in terms of content and outreach and frequency, etc, that in a nutshell. Uh, Alan is what I'm defining as our real estate IQ systems objective. Is to help agents and teams understand how to implement that successfully. And you, I know you're excited as I am. We are co-creating this along with many, many other contributors across our company and the network. We are excited to launch this. In fact, for anyone listening or watching today that wants to be a part of uh, of some of the early iterations of this program, uh, please message me. We're going to get you on a list. We're going to develop this into a, an entire network, a real estate influencer network, as well as a um, uh, a um, uh, a program where we're providing coaching and consulting uh, with Alan and I leading the way. So there's a lot of really exciting things to come. But Alan, that's in a nutshell how I would describe what we're what we're uh, you know seeking to achieve. Well,
1: Chris, you you've demonstrated how prescient you are because by coming up with this. IQ system, and I know we're also going to be developing the I, the real estate influencer network, okay, the Chris Stewart Real Estate Influencer uh, Network. You are really our leader in terms of what has to happen because not enough people are thinking about what's the impact going to be like, for example, of artificial intelligence. And the impact is going to be determined by our influence because there'll be there'll be a proportionality. How much will artificial intelligence will it compete with us? Versus, how much will we cooperate with it, and, and if we don't, if we don't make a science, what you're doing, and you brought in a researcher, another researcher, an author of a book on influence, you've spent several months now with the, with the team, uh, Bob Watson, many others, in terms of really making a science, how real estate agents can maximize their influence, um, offline and online through social media, but it's not just in, it's not just influencing to engage people. It's how to become more influential, more persuasive. And going back to the, to the lifestyle planning guide, it's the same thing, somebody gets married, that woman presumably, hopefully, takes her husband off the market and the husband takes the wife it off the market, put it in those terms. We have to take homeowners off the market. Once you stake that claim, once you formalize that relationship, that you are their client, they're doing planning with you, they're not gonna go through that same process with anybody else. They're not going to go through that intimacy with another human being. And I, I think all roads lead to that as well. But uh, but Chris, I wanna commend you for just your leadership and identifying the fact that I don't think any top realtor can be so without being influential. And it's all
0: about maximizing
1: the influence. And, uh, yeah.
0: and so I, I love what you're doing. And I would just say this too, to everyone listening or watching is, you know, there's, there's two things to me that really underline the problem we're trying to solve here number one and you see this year in and year out uh particularly the annual buyer seller survey that nar conducts nar asks buyers and sellers what percent of them would use their realtor again and and overwhelmingly year in and year out 80 to 90 percent of buyers and sellers say i would absolutely use my realtor again for my next transaction they were great, she was great, whatever it might be. Then they also ask the question in the same survey for those of it who have done more than one transaction. Well, did you use in this most recent transaction the same realtor you used in your prior transaction? And only 10 to 20% of, of consumers say that they use their previous realtor. So that gap between the 80 or 90% who desire to be loyalty loyal and remain with the realtor, but the 10 to 20% that actually do, That gap is the loyalty value void. That is an enormously expensive missed opportunity for all of the agents in our entire industry as a whole. That's, that's number one or fact. Number one, fact, number two, similarly as consumers are surveyed relative to who do they talk to in terms of seeking counsel and advice to make a real estate decision. Realtors are number three. How is it that friends, families, neighbors, coworkers provide more influence and guidance to inform a real estate decision than real estate agents? Imagine if there was a survey of medical professionals or of consumers seeking medical attention and doctors were the third most leveraged resource relative to consumers making medical decisions that if people seeking surgery said, I first ask my family, then my neighbors, then my coworkers, then I call my doctor. It's unheard of. And so I'm saying that as evidenced by the loyalty value void, we know that statistically quantifiably, we know what exists in our industry. And we know anecdotally that our influence ranks third behind neighbors, friends, family, and coworkers, there is an influence gap. We must close this gap. And if we do close this gap, we will insulate ourselves and therefore you and and your clients from all of the natural disruption and distraction uh, that's aimed at us now and into the future.
1: Hey, Chris, I have two points to follow up on that as well. Um, You know, in 2008, the world economy crumbled and it was because of the genesis of underperforming loans on properties that people couldn't afford. So it was a real estate inspired uh, crisis. And yet when blame was, was um, assigned, um, Wall Street was blamed, Bonnie Frank was in politicians of Washington, mortgage companies, lenders were, were blamed. Okay, rating agencies were blamed, but guess who wasn't blamed? Real estate industry wasn't blamed. Why, how could that be? because the world thinks we're so utterly non-influential that we didn't contribute to any of this. That has to, that has to uh, change. Years ago, the best-selling book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think has to be changed. It has, it has to be how to influence people and win friends because it's almost like with Facebook, everybody thinks they're their friend. Influence has to come first to develop a higher level of, of friendship. And, and Chris, I don't think you give yourself enough credit for what you're doing. I want to say this. um, I have never met in all of my years in real estate, a person who combines as much vision, technological understanding, consumer understanding and all of the years you did with Gino and Intero brokerage understanding. HSF is so blessed to have you as a youthful, energetic and brilliant leader. And thank you because you are the defender of real estate agent value. And that's just how it is. And, and it's an honor to be on this uh, pro, pro, podcast with you,
0: Chris. Well, thank you for that, AD. Thank you, buddy, I appreciate that. So um, I wanna start bringing us to a close. I've got a couple of final questions. And the first one would be, you know, for all the great agents out there that are watching and will be listening or watching in, in the future, uh, What are one or two things, Alan, that you feel like they really need to be focused on right now to catapult their career from wherever they are, whether they're a new agent or a top producer looking for that next edge, what would you say to that?
1: One would be, again, to to reiterate, is to redefine their essence and their purpose because almost every single realtor is gonna be saying, and they are saying, I'm a trusted advisor. I'm a trusted advisor. And yet trust should be implicit because that's part of agency. You don't hear doctors and lawyers say, you can trust me. It's, it's implicit. I mean, you have no other choice. It's the code of ethics. Uh, but everybody's gonna say they're a trusted advisor, but they're not gonna have a relationship. So that would be number one, restate and repurpose your relationship by tying them down in an honorable sense as a client to the planning. And the other thing, and it's the reason I resigned from realtor.com. I created something that's defunct now Called townadvisor.com. What was town advisor? I saw that. Where do people go for hotel information? They go to TripAdvisor. Where do they go for home improvement? They go to Home Advisor. Where do people go to learn what's the best town and neighborhood to live in? There's no equivalent aggregated site. So I created Town Advisor, but it was underfunded. But I ended up doing <clears throat> about 55 videos that I wrote. And I think agents doing videos, not just one or two minutes, like you're doing a a barbecue for YouTube or on Facebook, but really doing something like a real estate town documentary. Because according to NAR, you always do research and cite NAR, Chris. And um, according to NAR, people, 74% of people are more likely, or 75% of people are more likely to compromise on their home that they buy than in the neighborhood they live. And the real estate industry has aggregated so much more data on homes because the only way that you could take this great technology, realtor.com, we invested about a billion dollars in technology, Zillow, so forth. The only way that people could come in with this technology and engage the public was to take the what had been organized and 850 MLSs or so for years organized home for sale data. So that's how they came in and commandeered and subsumed that. And that's the way they first engage the public. So the public has to first try to decide on which home, which towns, which cities. And then we come in with the home. I think we've got to go higher up the, the, take the fish upstream. And I think realtors who can do a remarkable job of doing videos, not like the tourism bureau, but on the schools, SAT scores, all of the nuances, but they require several minutes. Because if somebody's interested in buying, if your kid's going off the college, will they spend seven minutes learning about the unit? Of course they will. Will a buyer, they'll spend months shopping around. They'll take it. It's doing real fulsome videos and then marketing that through AdWorks. The, the video you must see before you buy yourself because the marketing of homes because of IDX has become somewhat commoditized. Everybody sells. I don't sell homes. I sell lifestyles. We have to do more to do an equal job of marketing the town that the home is in as we the town. And I know a lot of agents do elements of that, 60 reasons, so forth, so on, but to really do a masterful world-class marketing of the town, almost as if the town hired you as the director of marketing to do a video for why people should move there, okay? And because not only do agents compete, not only do do, um, homes compete, Towns compete. And so it would be, it would be the lock down the client and consider doing world class videos, which are enticing to people who live there and then market that as part of your value proposition. That would, that I think is how people could really catapult
0: their, their sphere of influence here, as you
1: announced, Chris.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think now, more than ever, Alan, that's particularly important with all of the movement of people that we're seeing with this whole work from home phenomenon and you know, people seeking you know, maybe some differences lifestyle-wise where we're seeing people come out of some of the densely populated city centers and seeking more, more land, more suburban, rural settings. So being able to establish yourself as that local market expert and merchandise through the use of video and being expansive in the video content you're creating and then how you're marketing that into some of your feeder markets. I think, man, what a home run of an opportunity right now to be focused on. And Chris, here's another
1: aspect of that. Um, We both read the Harvard Business Review and then discuss it. And in the last, in this month's issue, they had a whole, the front cover was about WFA, work from anywhere. I would suggest that everybody within our networks, all part of HSF, should consider starting to advertise. You're a real estate WFA specialist. Now, people won't even know what that is. And then you can explain it, but that's gonna get people's attention. What in the world is this? This person is a WFA specialist, WFA specialist, yeah. Work from anywhere because it will show that how intuitive you are about the migration patterns, the fact that people can't work from anywhere and it puts you in a leadership position in terms of facilitating it. So that's just a little additional thought there, Chris.
0: Yeah, I love it. And so um, last question, but I, I, it deserves a, a fulsome response, which I'm going to give you ample time to do. But uh, a couple of things. Number one is um, a question from Adrian Hernandez, our great buddy in Southern California, Orange County there. Adrian asks, uh, in terms of skill, a focus on skill set development right now for agents, you know, what would you recommend? But I want to I want to pair his question with another sort of question that I want you to respond uh, in, in, in uh, together in. Um, because a lot of what we've described is an effort to get ourselves to the table for a conversation with a new prospective buyer, a new prospective seller. We've talked a lot about what we're doing to prime the pump at the top of the funnel, whether it's fear or generating new leaks, whatever it might be. So now I want you then to talk about The role of influential communication, influential communication, because at some point it's about being belly to belly with a prospective client and having that right dialogue. And so perhaps you could speak to Alan, your vision or thoughts around influential communication, and then also maybe address Adrian's question in terms of skill set development and kind of combine those two together if you would.
1: Okay. Let me start off because they go in, and that's a great question from Adrian. Um, Is it Adrian or Adriana? Adrian Hernandez. Adrian, okay. Um, And I love those initials. Ah, okay. Um, I've always been focused on the fact that the industry um, is much more focused on service. First of all, in terms of what do I do better, it also has to do with communication. See, I don't think any agent has ever said to a, a consumer or a homeowner, just so you know, I give horrible service. Um, just so you know, I just want to get the cards on the table. I just need to make a sale to get to the racetrack tomorrow. So I, I don't think people are talking uh, that way, all right? Um, every single agent I've ever known says, I give great service. Everyone, okay? And it's also personal. I give personal service. Well, how else can you give it? It's personal. But you also have to make a distinction between service and services. That goes back to your real estate ecosystem, Chris. If somebody hasn't created a robust ecosystem, if somebody hasn't tapped into the preferred services that Nina has done a phenomenal job creating for the networks, okay? You can give great service, but you're not providing great services. Now, one of the problems that the industry has is that we try to be evaluated just in terms of service. So-and-so has a 98% service rating. So-and-so has a 99% service rating. That reminds consumers that real estate professionals aren't in the skill sector. We're in the service sector. See, but the problem is, is that we're charging people surgeon like fees, but we're defining it as a service. So, so there's a major difference between skills and service. When somebody gets on an airplane, there's people who work for the airline. Some of them are in the skill sector, others are in the service sector. Who's more important to you? The, the pilots, they're in the skill sector. The men and women that fly planes, they're in the skill sector. Service is supposed to be the frosting in the cake. We're making it the cake. Let's be let's be in real terms. Chris, let's say you say to me, Alan, what's your fee? Now, fees, as we all know, are negotiable. But if somebody said to one of the agents, what's your fee? And the agent on the Zoom and he said, Well, it's 6% to take a random number. Well, um, the other eight companies said they'd do it at four, whatever. Again, this is all negotiable. Uh, why should I pay you six? Imagine somebody saying, "Because I get better service." And some agents say that. Okay, All right, great. Well, my son—I don't have a son, so I'll use this. My son has a hundred thousand-dollar home. He's going to sell his home. Chris, will you also give him great service? Oh yeah. Will you give him the same great service? Oh yeah then how come I have to pay 10 times as much for my million dollar home? Does your service cost 10 times as much? Keeping in touch with you, is that worth 10 times as much? But see, if you live in the world of skills, then there's a logical mathematical compatibility here, a congruency or an alignment because of my skills. My negotiating skills is worth at least 1%, Adrian. That means that With your million dollar property, that's worth $10,000 extra to you. It's only worth a thousand to your son. Now I can't guarantee that, but I believe that to be the case. My staging skill. There's not a person on this Zoom meeting, if I ask face-to-face, do you think because of your staging skill, you can raise a million dollar home, $10,000, everyone will resoundingly say, yeah, that's not a service. See United Van Lines, they have brochures how to prepare your home for sale. That's a service. Agents have experiential knowledge, that's a skill. They've developed a negotiating skill. They've developed a networking skill. These are all immensely valuable skills, core competencies that have been evolved that we're basically defining as service. I give great service. No, so those are the distinction. You wanna give great service, but you also want to provide great services. People won't want one stop shopping. And at the same time, you want to be able to have the skill because if you don't believe your negotiating skill, your marketing skill, but if you've told yourself homes don't sell because of price, then that stultifies, okay? That stultifies and, and thwarts your ability to, to, to value your marketing skills because why would you ever become a world class marketer if you think? Homes are determined by the price alone. You're just winking at marketing. You're winking at advertising. So skills are absolutely paramount. And we have to do a better job at the end. The real estate industry has to do a much better job celebrating their value. When you meet with a home seller, folks, I'd like to go over with you uh, my negotiating strategy and get into it. We don't have time here, but bring me back some time. To be able to show in advance of them selecting you Okay, uh, and the other way in terms of communication, this ties into communication. You can never remind a home seller or buyer enough that you represent them right up front. Okay, for the home seller, just so you know, I represent you. That's the code of ethics you and I are giving you when you can get into dual agency if you, you, you have to, but that's another subject, okay? You've got to remind that every single thing you do. Now, how does that affect your negotiating skill? Because if you go through your career thinking My philosophy of negotiating is I believe it should be a win-win. That's not how a negotiator thinks. Now, you may say, well, I want both sides to think they won. But no, but you have to be a fierce advocate. That's what attorneys do. I've studied attorney advertising. Here's how it sounds. No one will fight for you like we will. No one will fight for you as much as we will. Sometimes home sellers don't sense we're fighting for them okay they think we're facilitating them when somebody says well oftentimes the first offer is the best offer that doesn't sound like you're fighting to the death for the value so communication and skills communication is a skill but it all emanates out of agency where you and the client are as one and everything you do and they sense that okay and not only do they sense it everybody senses it when a realtor says i've asked this question chris have audiences how many times, and I'll ask this to our Zoom audience, how many times have you been on a, uh, how many times have you been representing your client when the person who represented the, um, the other side client developed something that you think they should not have? I've been told that's an epidemic. That's a violation of agency. When people say, well, by the way, at an open house, um, well, my, my sellers are flexible. Unless they told you to say that, that's a violation. That's communication. You're, you're not a skillful negotiator. Oh, by the way, they're going through a divorce. You never say that unless you get permission. And then you say, by the way, my clients are going through a divorce and they've authorized me to share that. So communication is a skill, but everything evolves out of agency. If you're representing people, you have a marketing system. If you're representing yourself, you have a listening presentation. So they're all tied together. But thank you, Adrian, for bringing up it's all about skills, Service is the frosting in the cake. We've got to do a better job of identifying skills. So much so that if somebody says, well, the other company said they'll market at home. And again, fees are negotiable. Or the other side, they said, they're, they so-and-so said they'll market at home for 3%, for 4%. But yet you can actually say, "Well, with all due respect, knowing their marketing, I'm a little surprised they're trying to charge that much. <laughs> now that might sound flippant. That might sound flippant, okay? But if you really believe that there's a pronounced difference between how you're gonna market homes, if you understand that your job is not just to sell more homes, but you're telling people you live to get homes sold for more. And every waking moment, you're thinking of what you can do. To, to It's all about range, reach and influence and how you can do the greatest job of influencing, telling the story, building the narrative. Okay, That's a skill. That's not a service realtors must start giving themselves greater credit than they've been giving themselves in conveying higher value.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, as usual, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, great content, great information, insight. Uh, We, you know, we've we've been on now for uh, nearly an hour and a half, which is great. I knew we'd go long, which is awesome. We'll do this again with Alan. Um, Alan, any parting words of wisdom to share with the audience? Well, should I say it now or after the break and the second part of this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a thread.
1: Relax, everybody. Relax, everybody. Um, no, my only, my only parting words is that we're living in a country, in a world, it's a really a world, that's becoming increasingly divided culturally, politically. And thank God that the real estate industry is so non-divided. Uh, because there's so much cooperation and collaboration with all companies, all agents, and that politics and all of that can uh, be put aside. And I've always believed that when I've asked people, how do you feel about selling? They always say, well, I, I can only sell something if I believe in it. Thank God that everybody in the Zoom meeting can make a great living providing an indispensable service and value, okay? If a sale by owners makes sense, it would have happened by now and a million times greater value because the market decides. There's so much unappreciated value in the industry, but everybody on this Zoom meeting should really look in the mirror and thank God for the career they have, for the service they provide, for the skills they've developed and for being in the network that they're in, the networks that they're in. And also Chris and having as you as the CEO spending night and day thinking of how to do even more to continue to express value, helping the networks go from more transactional to being forever agents, lifestyle advisors, and have clients forever. So that's those are my parting words.
0: Well, thank you, Alan. I appreciate those kind words. And um, Right back at you. You know, I know I speak on behalf of everyone watching and listening and everyone that's been exposed to your passion, your energy, and your commitment to helping all of us get better that uh, we very much uh, love and appreciate you. You know, I love you personally and uh, really enjoy working with you and getting the opportunity to be, be with you every day. So um, again, I'm asking everyone, if you know someone in the industry that would benefit from this uh, this content, this information, please write their name, tag them in the comments below. They can be made aware of this uh, this episode. This is on demand. We'll be uploading this to the podcast channel. Good to know. Uh, so you can listen to this uh, a few times. Many people have commented, that there's so many great ideas and so much great information. Well, the beauty is go back and listen and watch this thing as, as much as you want and share it with everyone that, uh, that you know would benefit from it. So until next time, wishing everyone a very safe and uh, productive week and weeks ahead. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Also in closing, I just want to thank all of our veterans. The veteran watching or listening, I want to thank you. I also want to thank any uh, veteran or military uh, spouses or family members. I know there's so many great people Uh, across the world right now attached to uh, our armed forces and just want to thank you uh and appreciate you uh for all of the sacrifices and commitment that you make on our behalf so uh much much love extended to all of you in in, in that uh in that scenario okay alan appreciate you buddy take care everyone we'll we'll be back in touch soon Bye, bye